Hello, this is Lowell Thompson with Learning with Lowell, a podcast that covers healthcare, biotech, anything science related really, or anything that really fascinates me. I'm open to input on that. Any suggestions, advice, send them my way. Go to learningwithlowell.com and subscribe today. Today we have Bertrand Janin of Truveris, the Chief Technological Officer, where he leads the architecture and evolution of the Truveris software platform. It's really fascinating. He is with Sarah, one of the first people we had on this podcast. We talk about how I got into software development, his interests, and more. And if you have any questions, remember to shoot me an email at learningwithworld.com. Thank you, everybody, and let's get into this. I was reading that you started coding at a very early age, and so I kind of want to talk about kind of like your rise to power, so to speak, or your coming-of-age story if you were a superhero, like uh, a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. So um, the way it happened for me is that I basically was obsessed with video games, like most kids, I guess. And uh, I was also uh, very curious to understand how they were built. So I, when I got the, um, when my parents got a computer for accounting on their side, uh, I mean, on their business, I started to poke around with it and realized that the way you make video games is with computers. So I started coding uh, fairly early, trying to make my own video games, basically. And uh, it started with prompt games where you basically enter, yeah, almost like a mud. Uh, it's like a multi-user dungeon where you basically uh, narrate the story on a prompt and then you ask your um, your user uh, what they're going to do. Are you going to go left, go right, uh, pick up something on the floor and whatnot? So that, that those were the first, um, that you can have different languages and different, uh, architectures. And I just got like sucked into understanding all of this stuff. And, uh, that's really how I started to code. And, um, I, I wasn't really expecting to go uh, to school for that, but then I basically, it sounded like, it felt like I had something that, um, that I could do. So eventually I just, uh, I, even if I tried to go away and try, I did this history school for a little while and tried to do graphic design, but eventually always, um, got back to programming. So it felt like it was, you know, my calling. So I essentially just, um, started to actually do that for a living, starting to do small websites at the beginning, uh, and then slowly write software and, uh, people started to pay me for that and uh, it worked out pretty well so far. What is, of, of all things you do, what is it about the software that really seems to resonate with you? Is there like, cause I, like I think I mentioned in the, 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 the preamble that I, of the extent of my programming knowledge is like CSS and HTML. So I was curious, like what, like the, the why behind what people find fa- fascinating, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a sense of, um, uh, of control to some degree because you basically uh, give instructions and assuming you do the right thing it will always do what you say uh, um, generally when there is a bug or something doesn't work how you expect it's always your fault so uh, if you understand your, your framework uh, the environment and everything else uh, in theory it will do exactly what you say and um, that's been proven to be true so far and that's very uh, satisfying. Uh, the uh, the fact that you can have um, you can automate a lot of things in your life. So when you're when you're younger, you start to automate. For example, you create websites for 
for your gaming teams and for um, for uh, for programs to you, you build programs to automate some of the bots that will interact with your in your game, and then eventually you start to build things that uh, help others, you know, other people in your lives, your friends, your family. Uh, how to automate some of the things they're doing, sending emails, reminders. You basically start to build tools that make people's lives uh, better. And this is very uh, fulfilling when you save people time and just um, allow them to, to do their, to basically conduct their life better because they have tools to do things uh, that are more efficient. But is there a project that you've worked on that you're particularly proud of? Or, or, or are you just more proud of like the, your entire like work history in general? Uh, no, I've done really a lot of really shitty things. <laughs> so, <I don't, laughs> so frankly, uh, the thing that I mean, I, I could say I'm really proud of what we've built here at Truverus. Although it's not as much coding uh, anymore, it's more about um, helping a team to build things. So I'm very jealous of my team actually because they get to build a lot of things. But uh, if I had to pick one project, uh, just because it's a fun one. Um, it's something that, uh, I built for Trevor is called Igor and it's, a, it's basically a, um, a chat bot that allows us to broadcast videos, sound and images on TVs across the office. And, uh, it's just a nice way for people to troll each other. So it's like, a um, it was, it was used, uh, before the days of Slack and Mattermost and, and all these like basically chat system that use the, the web for, um, for everything, which means you can embed videos in your chat easily. But back then we used IRC, which was completely text-based. And, uh, the only way to share images was through URLs. And, uh, this bot would basically broadcast whatever was posted to channels so that we could, uh, we could just play YouTube's music and we had a jukebox in there. And that was just a, uh, a fun experiment of me teaching myself Go. Uh, so a language I didn't know at the time and, uh, to make it very practical so that everybody in the office could start to uh, to play with it. And still nowadays, it's been like a bunch of years of us using that thing. And we still use it uh, to broadcast some random nonsense on TVs across the office. So um, speaking about team building, what I, I've come up to this question a lot with my guests or with people that I talk to that are in the hiring process. How do, how do you differentiate hiring people with lots of experience versus people who are more like hungry or have like that really big passion and have like not as much experience per se, but like you, you can tell like they're going to work harder. Like, is there like, how would you balance that? If, if that's a, a good question. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think that's, it's, it really depends. You have to, you, you can't really always pick one versus another. Uh, what you're doing is you're, you're assembling a team. So that person that is currently uh, perhaps younger but not as much experience but very eager might fit very well in your team because this is exactly what you're missing i don't think i would just pass one or the other it's always a matter of composing your team and finding people that really work with each other because one th if, I, if one thing i've learned doing this is uh, like if anybody in the team doesn't work out it affects everybody around around them and uh it's it's it is very important to just do that composition and uh, look at the right components. And sometimes it makes a lot of sense to get somebody with less experience, but who can just be uh, just as productive in, in a year. Because in one year, you know you know exactly what you'll be doing um, with that person in that team. And uh, I, f I find that 
you need a little bit of both and uh, you need uh, the experienced person to uh, to be there to chime in when, well, I've seen that specific problem before and I, we solved it in those different ways and I've made errors, I've made mistakes. Um, I really appreciate when I find people who make mistakes uh, and like recognize them because um, that avoids everybody from making them again. And if they can rationalize those mistakes and really think about uh, what caused them and how they solved it and um, and basically remember that history, uh, they are able to be very useful to a team because they provide this experience to everyone at the same time. But they don't always have the same drive and passion, which means sometimes they just get, uh, they do different things. So you focus those people on doing mentoring and um, they just provide uh, this, this experience uh, in uh, as a proxy while the, uh, the more uh, passionate people will basically run with that idea and just get it done. So when it comes to like team building, what are some of the like practices or things that you tend to think about like beyond the, you know, just experience or, or hunger? Are there some things that you found to be like key indicators of success or like fitting into the team really well? Cause I like, I agree with you. I think that like if you, if you hire someone and you don't take the team into account, like then it won't, you know, drive well. And at the end of the day, like you're kind of like building this engine to like do something so you can't just like throw random parts and there has to fit right uh and like so i'm just kind of curious like what other things do you think about or that have you found to be really effective to think about as you're hiring people yeah i mean the first thing i look at and you you'd say of course somebody has to be smart somebody i mean you can't you have to be able to think about problems and rationalize about complexity there is a lot of things that you can't not hire smart people but then the, the next thing i would look at is is kindness I just uh, think this is uh, underrated in the industry and you have a lot of jerks around. And I think that if you hire people uh, that are kind, uh, they're able to uh, ask questions to others. They're not afraid of asking questions because other people uh, are happy to answer questions. And there is a, um, a community that forms uh, that is very uh, collaborative uh, by default. And you don't expect people to be bullied because they don't know something. Uh, they, they're not going to be treated like shit because, uh, oh, you asked me this question twice, you must be an idiot. Uh, it's just, uh, uh, it's been very good because uh, everybody here really loves uh, working here and just uh, basically participating in any, any debate we have because it's always very civilized and kind. And I think that's uh, one thing that's worked out very well for us. Um, and of course, passion. So if I see somebody who's hacking on the weekend because they're just working on a robot or just like a, uh, they're rebuilding their house or doing something, something that basically, um, require planning and, uh, thoughtful execution and just, and they love what they're doing, whatever it is. I think that's very important, uh, because we're builders ultimately. And the, uh, the, the, the set of people who tend to, uh, build on their own spare time because they just love it, uh, typically, uh, do pretty well here. What? Something that I'm always curious about is when people are talking to you, like there's always like this idea or at least something that I, I wonder about, like not, not now, of course, but like if I'm, if I'm hiring someone, I always wonder like how much of what they're saying is like really them or like what they can actually deliver on versus how much is like <laughs> what they're just kind of inflating to get the job. Like, have you ever, do you ever like consider that? And if so, oh, like, yeah. is there like a way to like pierce that bubble? And like figure out like what, you know, what they're, what they're actually able to like produce. Yeah. I mean, frankly, 
I think there is always somebody who managed to go to skip through a lot of those filters. But the way we do it here is by testing them and not by doing theoretical computer science exercise on a whiteboard where you're going to solve problems Google style, where it's like how many, um, I don't know, how many marbles can I fit in my office? And that's just not the kind of things we do here. But um, the kind of stuff that we would be asking candidates is, uh, how would you uh, solve a very practical problem? So we give them something that we would be probably doing here um, in your day-to-day as an engineer, and we let them walk through the problem. So you go on Google, you go on Stack Overflow, uh, you sit with a team, you can ask questions, and you basically work with people. And um, if by the end of this, there is almost no bad answers anyway, because uh, we give the same type of exercise to any level, whether it's associate, senior, principal, engineer, because everybody can solve it with a different level of experience. And the thing that matters is how can you get it done? First, you have to do beautiful code. It has to just look uh, amazing. And everybody has to be on the same page that this is clearly a good way to do it. But beyond this, the way you've gone about like communicating with a team when you have a roadblock and just asking questions. And um, and that typically gives us a good, uh, a good vibe for a person. Uh, but it has happened that some people uh, still did a... Uh, excellent on technical and when they get to the to the you know to uh to work uh they're not able to to do as much as we uh, hoped and it's really difficult to 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 gauge that but there is there is so many uh human factor uh going into that that it's not always uh something you can necessarily filter in the interview process i always think that if you can be around someone for like six months you can generally tell like what type of person they are but then you, you know that's to take six months to find a teammate might be like a little excessive. So like, uh, yeah. as long as, I mean, that sounds like a really good practice to like filter out like the 99%, but like the, the 1%, like there's always going to be someone that like <laughs> breaks your beautiful system. Totally. That, that's the thing. I mean, we, we don't do six months. We do like, we have a three months here. Basically we have the, it's very clear when we make, make an offer, we're basically, uh, it's a trial basis for both of us, uh, the company and the person. And uh, at the end of the day, I mean, there is like really clear goals for both the company and the person so that we're all on the same page during this entire process. Uh, and uh, sometimes people just um, acknowledge that this is not a good fit and that's all there is to it. But at least you you, you set the, the goals for both both sides of the, uh, of that, uh, of that, process and then if everybody uh is agreeing uh, on the goal then we get there then it's uh it's a good fit typically when you were kind of like jumping back a step and then probably forward a step when you were first starting out and kind of like looking at you where you are now would you have any suggestions on resources for people to read if they wanted to there's like i know there's like khan academy for coding but like if if someone wanted to kind of like build themselves in a way to be to like bring the type of value that you bring to the team at your level, how would someone do that? Like, how would you recommend? Are there like resources or types of experiences that you'd kind of recommend or, you know, that, yeah, that's the question. Yeah. I mean, the way uh, I suggest to do it is progressively. Uh, I don't think, uh, I mean, first you have to acknowledge whether you do want to do, um, if you want to deal with people, <laughs> this is really the, uh, the, the thing that you do as you just build a team, you, you have to, um, you have to lead, you have to, um, hire, fire, and just create processes around, uh, dealing with the team. So, um, some people just don't want to deal with it because they just prefer to code. So as you're, as you're basically getting yourself into, uh, like a technical leadership position, I would say start with something small, start to, 
to do technical leadership instead of uh, going to actually management and just uh, start with um, with maybe uh, like a project, an open source project, and just uh, do that uh, on a small scale. There is a lot of opportunities out there in the open source world to just take on uh, certain projects and just manage a an actual open source project that's orphaned or start to take on a feature in that project or a module or something. And there's like many opportunities that gets you to do um, some of that technical leadership and just manage people and just deal with pull requests. And there's a lot to, uh, um, to learn from that. And then in a company like here at Truverus, I mean, uh, we do offer the opportunity to a lot of people to do technical leadership on certain projects. So we have hundreds of um, of services internally to manage all of our products. And uh, it's it allows us to just have small components and small parts of our, of, our, of our platform that could be delegated to somebody. So as a associate level or mid-level engineer, you can start to take on the ownership uh, ownership of a uh, part of our platform. And that gives you already like a taste for how do I uh, run like a small technical team and uh, handle the planning and everything that goes with it, speaking with product, with clients, with everybody that gets uh, involved with that specific feature. And um, there is... I don't think there is any, uh, I mean, there is plenty of books that talk about this kind of stuff. I, I haven't really, uh, read one that, um, that made me feel like, um, like I had like an enlightenment moment. Uh, I think that uh, the moment, the thing that, uh, were the most important to me were mistakes I've made, mistakes that others have made, but talked, uh, talked about with me, like discussing, uh, past experiences and learning from the past is something that is, um, that is very valuable. And, um, it's uh, that's really the base of it. I would say just go for it. Just do it. When this is kind of a, a, a an interesting question that when it comes to the open source kind of like finding like technical leadership and, and doing things, have you found that because I've, I've come on like forums and stuff to kind of like <laughs> like uh, find questions because I'm I'm not like a coder person, so I wanted to be able to ask like interesting questions. When people do those type of things, have you found them to translate into job offers? Because I, I read a couple of people that felt like maybe it wouldn't. And it's like, well, one, if you're enjoying yourself, like that, that's it. Like that should be your first thing. But then yep. two, like I always wonder, like to what extent can the things you enjoy turn into things that you can get paid to <laughs> paid to do? Because if you can, Jesus, <laughs> yeah, if, if, you you can, like, if you don't enjoy what you're doing at work, uh, you need to change job. I mean, basically, that's that's the way I look at it. If you if you really enjoy building software and whether it's open source or commercial, I mean, if you enjoy building things like that and you find a job where you can build things, uh, of course, it's it's even better if when you build things, you're actually doing something useful. Like if you're in fintech, uh, move money around, it's it's not as as fulfilling as being in healthcare where you actually like, help people with their health and their like, the, the cost of their uh, medications, for example, which is something nice. But on top of it, if you love building stuff, uh, and, uh, you do that on GitHub, you have a whole bunch of projects and you can show, show what you've done before. Or, um, I think that if you find the right place, they will truly appreciate what you've done in the open source world. They will look at it. I definitely do. And a lot of my team, when they, um, screen candidates, they look at what they've built before. And we often during interviews will talk more about that than what they've done in their jobs, because often they put so much passion into it that there is, it highlights a lot of things about their personalities and, uh, their approach to solving problems, uh, which are more interesting than how somebody else told them how to solve a problem, which could be interesting as well, but it's it's a different perspective. Yeah, definitely. So for the people listening, you have your answer, which is which is good. <laughs> um, 
moving on. What brought you to where you are now? Like, did I? Did you kind of like work your way up, or did you kind of like apply for the position and get in? Like, I'm I'm uncertain on that on that point. Yeah. So um, I actually started here. That was the first employee at Trigger's to be paid, and uh, that was eight years ago. And uh, I had worked with uh, a friend of mine in a ad tech company, actually. And uh, we basically, I mean, he, he left this company and uh, founded Trueverse. Uh, and uh, when, he was, when the company was ready to uh, start to hire on a technical side, I was basically the first person to get paid to do that. Um, and uh, since then, I just started, I started as a lead engineer, the sole engineer, basically, and slowly got my way to CTO. But I mean, I was effectively doing that the whole time. It's just the different the scope of the company changed drastically from, you know, five people all the way to 120. Now, um, you you have to take those the responsibility for I don't know, infrastructure and then building the team hiring and all this kind of stuff. You do that the entire time. It's just that the scope is was just getting bigger and bigger. And uh, I think uh, you learn a lot of things along the way. And I think that one one thing that's important is to completely reassess like yourself and your responsibilities once in a while, because it's very easy to start from uh, like an engineer level and just escalate your way uh, as the company grows and uh, still keep the same mindset you had eight years ago, where you're just constantly building things and in the detail. And it's been a very uh, interesting realization for me to to look at my, my calendar lately and just not lately, but in the past few years and realize I'm not coding anymore. I'm not, I'm not really in the code. Uh, and, uh, and this is just the way it is. You just have to start to, uh, to help others to do more and just, uh, transition to that transition is a little difficult and there is a lot more of a transition to that job that, uh, this has been progressive. Let's put it this way. When, when it comes to like management type stuff, what, like sometimes people are concerned when it comes to like giving criticism, like how, how, what are some good ways to coach people? If that's probably a much better way to structure that, that question. Well, um, same, same way I said earlier, you basically have to throw them there and see how they do and, uh, and, uh, provide feedback as, as, as soon as possible. Uh, and, um, and I don't, I'm not a big fan of, pushing people to not pushing people, but basically um, making people do management when they're not good at for it. There's just some people that are just not going to do it. And there are just uh, some people that are really good at it. And you can identify that pretty quickly when you give them the opportunity to do a little bit of it and they just do a great job at it. So I think that the, the thing that's important is to always um, improve on the skills you have. So if you're really good at doing and managing people in the first place, uh, then maybe that's what something you should be doing and just get even better at it because you have already a talent for it. Just get that uh, to the next level instead of being like a really good engineer and you're like, ah, maybe I should improve my management skills. And I'm, I'm just like, maybe you shouldn't. There's If you're not good at it naturally, um, you're only going to get so far on that front while you could improve your uh, engineering skill even further and become like this this awesome architect in the first place. So, um, but you do, you only see that after you've you know put them almost like it's like trial by fire almost you just put them there and see what happens and then provide feedback and uh and uh and me being somebody who's gone through the entire thing myself and questioning myself and also getting mentorship from others um i sometimes you know it's also difficult to 
um, to provide this mentorship because I only know what I've gone through and I've seen others uh, try and fail or try and succeed and I can only uh, speak to to the things I've seen. I can't I can't uh, always um, be the best person to give um, mentorship on that, but uh, I, I tried. <laughs> what what made you stay at Truveris? Like what made you like? Because I'm sure. You know, someone like building something significant, there's probably other people who wanted to like pull your attention. Like what, what about Truveris made you be like, this is where I want to be for eight years, which is a very, very significant portion of time, like almost one tenth of your life, depending on how long you live. Yeah. Um, I will live forever, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, the, the thing that keeps me uh, at Truveris and actually attracted me is the fact that, um, we built something from scratch that's completely different from the rest of the uh, of this industry. If you look at pharmacy benefits, uh, the pharmacy benefit industry has been around for quite a while, and the whole supply chain is crippled with a lot of inefficiencies. And uh, if there is something very fulfilling as an engineer to look at something that just works so-so, and uh, you can see that everywhere. You just go to a pharmacy. Uh, to get uh, medication and you can get one price in one pharmacy you cross the street it's a different price you the next day it might be another another price again and there is like there's so many things about this uh, ecosystem that's just dysfunctional and it's just very appealing to me to uh, project a better future and just work toward that and uh, and it's still what we're doing today so there is really uh, it's still like the mission is still ongoing well, there's other factors, of course, because after building a, a team like we have, a bunch of people that are smart and kind, it's really becomes part, it's almost like a small family at this point. We basically build a community of people that are all passionate about that same mission of fixing uh, healthcare, and it also contributes to that, because you know that if you jump uh, somewhere else, um, you'll have to just do that almost from scratch again. You have to rebuild that this awesome community, you have to also... Uh, find a place where there is actual um, hard problems that uh, that you can solve, and this is you know there is not that many places like that in uh, uh, nowadays. Yeah, I, uh, my background's in consulting, so I can I can echo that point. Like that, especially finding finding people who are kind. Like it's like the big thing that I focus on, especially like after I got through like the cutting of my teeth phase, like and I can be more selective. Like working with people that you want to work with, man, you like your day is way much better <laughs> when oh, you yeah. when you find like the right people and just like all right let's let's you know like it's just so much it's like night and day for people and uh, I'm, I'm on reddit a lot and there's always like these little um i don't know like amas or whatever you call it where people talk about their work and some people feel so so negative about their job that sometimes they wake up and they just want to die it's like wow like i just want to find out what's going gone wrong in their lives so that like i could like help them and find them something else that just sounds like to get up every morning and like want to die. Like that's just, I would not do that. But then like something has to be there to make them do that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, but that's, that's a little bit of a diversion. Yeah, I don't know, but you're, you're right. It's basically, I mean, a good part of it is like the people you surround yourself with. Like if you spend like eight hours at work and you're surrounded by assholes, I mean, this, how could you feel good about yourself? It starts to color you. Yeah, totally. Um, I think there's like a there's a, a quote out there that you're like you're you're basically the average of the people around you. Yeah. Which is which is why like if I like if I go through an entire day and I think, wow, these people are like I keep interacting with jerks, it's like, oh oh god, lol, are you a jerk? <laughs> like it just makes you reassess things. Like if I just run into like the same people, it's like am I just being really unlucky or am I just in a bad mood or I don't know, it's like something underpinning me. But 
Um, with looking at, um, so you, you kind of got to like this point in your life. What, and that's kind of like a really big hill for a lot of people to, to get there. I think that I think a lot of people would look at you and then look at this podcast and be like, Oh wow. Like very human. I can kind of do that with a, you know, you know, time, of course, maybe if they have like the right components, of course, which is to say that what's the next big mountain that you're working on? What's the, what's the, next big thing or journey that you're starting now that you can kind of tell it's going to be a bit, but that you think is going to be just as rewarding as building a team from, you know, from one, from yourself to, you know, 110, I think you said. Yeah. I mean, frankly, every day uh, we're working toward that here. It's just a challenge of growing and scaling a company. I mean, there's not like, there's not a week that's the same as the previous one currently. This is, I'm getting, I'm getting to this point where our whole company, like the, uh, is, is just trying to, uh, to move to the next step. And this is what's happening. We see like more people coming in, uh, every week. And, uh, it's like you, you start like with a skateboard going on the highway and then suddenly you're going 30 miles per hour. And then you have to turn that skateboard into a bike to be able to go to the next, like, uh, the next gear and, uh, you do that while you're not trying to lose speed and then it turns into a car and then you're basically trying to turn that into like a rocket. It's just all of this is assembling that as everybody is moving, all the parts are shaking and it's just, this is, so I, like the, the target for now, for me at least, is to just get that company to the next level and, uh, and there is really, um, not much, I mean, there is not much else on my mind right now. This is just because it's an everyday challenge and everything is just, like I said, like, like moving as we just go on the highway. It's just, um, it's happening basically. <laughs> With all this stuff going on, do you ever, do you, two part question, do you ever feel overwhelmed? And then when you, if or whatever, you feel overwhelmed, how do you get out of that state of overwhelm and get back to being productive? Like a kind of a two part question. Yep. Um, this is about uh, taking time off and I'm really bad at that. So I'm realizing, I realized that basically last year, at the end of the year, I was like, wow, I didn't take any vacation. And this is something that also affects, uh, affects everybody in your team, but, uh, you end up just showing the example, which is a bad example. So I think, uh, being able to disconnect is very important. So, uh, like learning how to meditate and just take the weekend and literally go away. I love to hike, by the way. So I basically would just go in the forest for like hours and just that would, I would solve all the problems I had during the week that I couldn't solve just by just staring at the trees <laughs> and basically just taking time off and just uh, reassessing things and just clearing your mind is really uh, important to just, uh, to get back, um, at work with um, a lot of focus. Otherwise, you just start to you start to basically do a slow burnout, and you don't you don't seem effective anymore. You don't think as straight, and it just uh, it just happens without you realizing it because it's a slow degradation of the way you, of your um, of your focus. I think I think that's like an important thing that I believe that a lot of people overlook, like how how gradually you can like descend and how gradually you can ascend. You know, like how like. It'll take a very long time of working every every day before you realize that you gained really interesting skills. Like you got better. Like it'll take a little bit to realize that you like gained something. Just just as if like you start descending, unless it's like a really really steep <laughs> descent. Like you're not really gonna notice it. So like having like these checks and balances to kind of like measure yourself is really important. Have you ever been on the Appalachian Trail? I like 
I know you're kind of like near there. Yeah, I have. Uh, I've been on strips of it because eventually, when you're hiking, you always see the the white markers in one place or another. But I've never actually done the whole thing. Like it's definitely one of my goals. If I um, if we can like get uh, I don't know the company to the next stage, and I don't know why that is yet. It's like this this potential next stage that I don't have the clear uh, vision. I mean, I we have a an idea of where we're going, but I don't know exactly when. But when that happens, I'm going to take probably a couple months and do something like that. It's either going to be uh, Appalachian Trail or like uh, St. Jack of Compostela in Spain or something like that that will be not to disconnect for a weekend, but disconnect for like a month or two. Like it's it's one of my goals as well to do the Appalachian Trail. There's, there's, a, there's a couple, there's like the Appalachian Trail, there's a big trail in California that's apparently really, really like a, a naturalist made. And then there's, I, I might have heard the one in Spain that you mentioned, like there's like, it's like from one church to like another church. Yep, exactly. You go through France, a little bit of Germany, and then Spain uh, at the end, the tip of uh, the north uh, west tip of Spain. I mean, you, yeah. you have, you have a, a slight accent. Are you from Spain? No, I'm from France, technically. I grew up uh, near Switzerland, so it's like a blend of a whole bunch of things. And uh, then I've been here for 10 years, and uh, I've switched. My, my accent has been morphing around a little bit, so it's always a little difficult to figure out what it is. <laughs> I've now realized I have a slight accent, but I did not realize that the Midwest had an accent, which is kind of weird. If I were to have an accent, I'd rather have like a French person's accent or something, like something neat, but <laughs> like that'll get you far. Yeah, your accent doesn't sound like that. Doesn't sound bad at all. I mean, it's just uh, it just surprises me how many accents there are in the states. Every time I meet somebody, it's just uh, even like around New York. Like you just go around New York City, uh, where we are here at Rivers, and there's like I don't know a dozen accents, and it's just fascinating to just uh, uh, understand how they came about. But I imagine this is this is a question that'll show you how ignorant I am when it comes to New York City or or New York in general. Is it? Like I almost, I almost wind, wound up in, in in New York one day from like a train trip that like went awry. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, I was gonna be stuck there for like thirty hours, and I had I had no idea. And like, Chicago is like the biggest city I've been to, and it kind of bugs me. But is it is it as fast paced and aggressive as it is portrayed? Oh Jesus, yes, it is literally the most the most uh, fast paced and aggressive place I've ever been. Like to a point where I'm not so used to it. That I mean, I think it's a bad thing to be used to it, frankly. But at the end of the day, when I land anywhere in the world, anywhere, I'm always feeling like I'm waiting behind somebody walking now. Like there is, there's just like such a pace on sidewalks everywhere that there is not a single place in the world where I don't feel like everybody's slower than me. So you get used to that pace, and then everywhere else, now you take it takes you like a couple of days to to just basically just relax and just uh, take your time and not get angry at people that are in front of you just enjoying life <laughs> it's just like a disconnect that i have everywhere where i land in europe or like on the west coast or it's just always the same um realization that you don't need to pace all the time there's a i think there's a, a, a good quote by the dalai lama i might, I might be misquoting the person but the, the idea is that people sacrifice their health to get money they sacrifice their money to get health and then the end, like they like sacrifice the the present all, all along, so like they um for like a better future that basically doesn't come because like they like the future is always like a day away, and so you're not really like paying attention to the moment. I think that's always like an interesting thing, like to like take a step back and really enjoy what's going on right now because there's like there's no guarantee of tomorrow. I think that's like you know unlike some people you know that are gonna live forever, <laughs> the rest of us <laughs> non immortals gotta. 
you know, appreciate, even if you were immortal, I feel like you got to enjoy the days because then what, like, what are you working for if you can't like take a moment and enjoy yourself? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that's, um, that's the big, I mean, the big issue for a lot of people, they just to get into this, uh, this weird routine, uh, and the routine could be either your circle. It's also most likely you're going to get in the routine if you're surrounded by jerks. But if you're basically, uh, waking up in the morning and getting to work and you're realizing that you haven't even understood what happened, you basically woke up, got to work, and you don't remember your drive there because you've been on autopilot the entire time. And that autopilot goes everywhere. It doesn't stop at work. Then you can basically spend your day at work just doing something that's not like that's not good that doesn't make you feel creative that doesn't make you interact with good people that just that just make you feel creative and then you just get back home and you just plug yourself on your tv and then you're on to pilot for another couple hours then you're tired you go check your mail before you go to bed and then just rinse and repeat if you live a life like this it will go very fast you're not going to be in the present you're just going to realize it's gone by like once you have not you can change anything anymore so it's definitely very important to be uh, to realize uh, how rare it is to be alive. You're basically like this, like, you know, this living thing. And like, there's like billions of years before and billions of years after you, and you're just there. So just enjoy it while it lasts. There's a, it's like, if you were to look at the, the cosmic, like how, how old the universe is by like a calendar, we're in like the last second of the, like the last day of the, of the year. And it's like, wow, that's, that's, uh, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's like this analogy they have in the in the Cosmos series. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that series. Yeah, beautiful. I'm trying to get my girlfriend into it. She doesn't. She doesn't like science, but one day I will get her. What? I will. Yeah, she doesn't not like science. So she tells me she does not not like science. But it's like every time I suggest something science, she does not get into it. And it's like I'm not falling for this. I keep trying to get. Her, I don't know. She's she's writing a book right now, so it's like I guess you can do that instead. But it's everywhere. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't escape it. It's just like you're doing science right now, but you're living. Yeah, it's it's such a fascinating thing, especially like something that always kind of gets me is like we're basically just like a bunch of cells that kind of like got together, and one day we're like we have met the threshold for sentience, and it like, like I know we're getting to the end of the time, so I'll say this really quick, and then I'll, I'll move on. <laughs> um, like something that I always think about is, you know, like cephalopods are really smart, like the little squid guys. Yep. What if there's like, or, you know, just taking it to humans, imagine being like the first human to reach the threshold of sentience, looking around and then realizing like you're alone or like realizing that like there's no one like you. <laughs> or, like, it's just like, imagine like a modern day, like cat, just like realizing or like a modern day cow, like just seeing all their friends be like mowed down and eaten by these like weird humans. Mm-hmm. Because it's had to happen. Like you don't just like get like a bunch of people popping out of the egg at once. There's got to be like that one guy or that one lady. And, like everyone comes from that. So it's something that I always kind of like that I think about. Like imagine being like the only one, <laughs> like the first. The first is is not like the best thing. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's. I mean, I don't. I honestly have no idea if it is gradual or like binary. But I feel like the. Uh, the, the the feeling of uh, like uh, of existence and everything else I don't think it goes as quickly as that and I would say that like the, the fact that you're thinking about existence and all these kind of things like it's probably it's because you have quite an advanced brain and I think that the cephalopod is probably gonna be like shit I'm alive and that's probably the end of it <laughs> like this is already very deep and philosophical for the cephalopod but it's probably the end of it yeah well they they're pretty smart they have like brains and all their limbs but um 
I'll move on to pertinent questions about you. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> we we got like, uh, I think, two minutes left. Cool. Just give people like kind of a sense for your time. When you are in your free time, besides hiking, what do you do for fun? Like, do you, you're not, like, do you read? Do you engage in some type of sporting activity of some type? I don't know what they do in France. Maybe like fencing. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. Everyone do fencing in France. Naturally. <laughs> No, I, what I do lately, I mean, I read a lot. So, uh, and I commute to New York City from New Jersey. So, uh, my train commutes are reading and sleeping. But uh, the uh, uh, the rest of the time, I'm working on finishing a house I bought in New Jersey. So, I'm spending a lot of time doing things like uh, plumbing, painting, uh, drywall fixing, and just like floors. I just do tiling as well. So, I learned how to do a whole bunch of things. Um, on my own using YouTube and other things like that. But I mean, basically, uh, that's most of my time lately. I spend a lot of time building and fixing things so I can uh, sell my house. And uh, I mean, to frankly, it's both a chore and a very fascinating experience because I'm learning a lot of uh, construction tricks. Well, I think I think that this kind of goes into uh, our final question, which I always think is like in modern day where you can basically learn anything in the world, like. Because of the, your access to internet, you have YouTube videos to so figure out handyman stuff. So I think, like, with your experience, what is some advice, either, like, reading material or, or anything in general that you would give to people who are listening and they're thinking, hey, I like the way this guy is talking. I'm kind of interested, and I want to learn more and see if this is an avenue of success in their lives that they should try. Because, like, sometimes, you know, like, I'm a, I grew up on a farm, so, like, going to college was kind of, like, a weird thing for me. And, like, doing anything science was kind of weird thing that wasn't strictly to like agriculture so like i think seeing different avenues of success and having recommendations from people who have found their avenue i think is really important so that's where the question comes from yep um i've uh, i'm not going to reference any book because uh, i don't have any anything in mind right now uh, but frankly i think the uh the um the gateway drug to what uh, i'm doing is helping people um, in their day to day. So, um, creating small, small things. It's, uh, it's like small systems, small projects, small, solving small problems and you get to a point where, uh, you start to get emails from patients that say, yeah, I saved like, uh, enough money to pay my rent this month. And, uh, that's when it starts to get very interesting and, uh, it's very addictive solving problems that actually impact people and making their lives better. And uh, in terms of resources, I mean, there is to me there is no, no better than experience than just actually doing it. Just basically finding a, something that bothers you, something that bothers someone else, and just just fix it. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe, leave a review, check out our website, learningwithlowell.com, or join my mailing list. I'm here to learn and share what I learn. New episodes every Tuesday, new emails every Monday, and I blog on topics that I find fascinating.